Merry Christmas and so great to see you once again. Thank you for joining us, whether it's your first time or 500th time. Great to see you this Christmas. It's an awesome uh, opportunity. Consider what the angel said. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Today a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And you know, there are so many great things about Christmas. There are the Christmas decorations, the Christmas cookies, the Christmas presents. But can we talk a little bit as we are gathered here tonight about Christmas music? So when you look on Spotify, Christmas music has its own genre. I was talking about that with a buddy of mine. On Spotify, you can find pop and rock and country and Christmas. That's pretty incredible. No other celebration has that. You can't find Thanksgiving genre of music or Fourth of July or New Year's for that matter. Just Christmas. And because of this, I was wondering if you have maybe a favorite Christmas song. Uh, Some of you might think of All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. It's a good choice. I like I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas just because I like saying hippopotamuses. Anyone want to say that? Hippopotamuses. It's just, it's fun to say. Uh, Some of you might think of White Christmas. Uh, I love O Holy Night, which we'll hear later. But what I want to bring you back to is a, a song from yesteryear. Um, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. Um, it's when a, a bunch of celebrities got together and they sang this song called We Are the World. Does anyone remember this? So written by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson. And there you have a cast of characters. I mean, it's incredible. You have Stevie Wonder and you have Ray Charles. You have Tina Turner. You have Billy Joel. You have Cindy Lauper. Um, it's just amazing all the people that got together and sang this song. Now, now, the occasion for the song was humanitarian aid. They were trying to help the needy in Africa. In fact, I want to read for you a lyric from that song. Their lyric goes like this. We're saving our own lives. It's true we'll make a better day just you and me. We're, We're saving our own lives. What's famous about this song is also a character named Bob Dylan. I want to show you the picture of Bob Dylan while they were recording the song. There he is. Now, Bob Dylan is probably not a charmer, you know, apart from this. But anyway, this is like the face you make when you open that present that you don't really want it and you're not faking it till you make it. Like, you're just being honest, right? And, uh, and, and there's a reason he was uh, feeling so awkward, looking so awkward. After they recorded this, they interviewed Bob Dylan about the song and what he was thinking. And, and here's what Bob Dylan said. He said, songs can't save the world, and man cannot save himself. So I have to sing this song that I truly don't believe in. A person can't save, and songs can't save, and if there is salvation only in songs and people, there is no hope for the world. Now, that's good for us to consider tonight. On Christmas, we want to consider where does hope come from, and can it come from people or from money? Well, let's consider people for a little bit. When I came to the area, uh, there was a new uh, character on the Bulls team, and his name was Derek Rose. And I thought for sure we're going to have a resurgence of the Bulls, and we're going to be great, and it didn't pan out. And now I was watching the Chicago Bears, and I thought Mitch Trubisky was it. I did. Um, But as he was being compared to Patrick Mahomes, yeah, maybe that would have been a better draft pick. I'm, I'm sorry. And what we learn walking with people is that sometimes, again, people let us down. Or what about money? What if our hope is just in money? We just throw enough money at something and and it'll get better. Does that work? Um, I was reading a a book called uh, When Helping Hurts. 
And, and that song, they raised $63 million for humanitarian aid in Africa. But there are still problems. In fact, when you just throw money at problems, it doesn't always help. And so if hope is in people or if hope is in songs, if hope is in money, there is really no reason for hope at all. But that's why I love being at church on Christmas Eve. That's why I love this time where we have the time for family gatherings all week long and we have time for other things. But I love being here in this moment because here we find hope. In fact, if you're taking notes on Christmas Eve, we actually get to be thrilled by hope. When's the last time you were thrilled? Some kids maybe seeing Frozen 2. Some old people Star Wars. Thrilled to see these things. The last time you were thrilled. Well, here is the message and why we can be thrilled. Because though this world is dark and darkness touches us all, though we all have dealt with things like depression and debt and sickness and sadness, though some of us have really heavy hearts tonight and maybe even are hanging on by a thread, I get to tell you we have light that breaks the darkness. We have a baby born of Mary placed in a manger. A baby foretold by prophets, fulfilled through a miraculous conception. We have a baby whose name is so big that only his broad shoulders can bear it. It's Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this baby grows to be a man to tell us this phenomenal truth, the truth we all need to hear, that I'm the light of the world and whoever walks with me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If Jesus is in your world, you have the right to have light break your darkness no matter how dark it may be. Now, this is something to rally around. Merry Christmas, friends. We have Christ, the hope of glory. And so we're going to into the Word of God. And as we turn to the Word of God, we do believe it's the reliable revelation of His heart to us. And as we consider the words written, we, we meet people who needed hope. We consider the prophet Isaiah, and he's writing to people, the Israelites, uh, about 700, 600 uh, B.C., who are going to face oppression. Uh, they're going to go off into captivity. Um, they have already uh, been affected by the Assyrian nation, and they need hope. The only problem is they're not looking to God for hope. In fact, at that time, they were consulting with mediums and spiritists. They were going to the occult. And the result of this, um, Isaiah, before he shares... Uh, Chapter 9, this is recorded. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness, fearful gloom. They'll be thrust into utter darkness. As they went for other things for hope, it just became more dark. And it reminds me of the spiritual age we live in now here in, the, in America. A very spiritual age, but people are looking to other things to scratch that itch. This past week, I was talking to a young lady who says, yeah, I had some time uh, searching out the occult, and it was disturbing, and it was confusing, and it didn't really bring that much joy, and I believe that. And, and the people that I talk with, and, and, and maybe you've also considered, um, theology today is based on pop culture and personal opinion and a critical approach to Scripture that isn't helpful and leads people into utter darkness. But friends, God has sustained a reliable revelation that we get to consider. Into utter darkness, Isaiah 9 speaks, and these are the words for our consideration. Here it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. These are the incredible words of, of God that we get to consider. And I love that last part. Do you want to know why there's a Christmas and why God sent his son? Simply because the Lord was zealous for you. The Lord was zealous that you might know him and be saved. As we get going, can you turn to the neighbor sitting next to you? Can you help me out and just say, Christ is born for you? Can you say that? You know, one of the very best parts about Christmas is the, the gift giving and receiving. Any children here would agree with me? Excited for gifts? And truly, it's a time unlike any other. At a birthday, only one person gets a gift. Anniversary, only, you know, a selected few. Um, here, everyone gives gifts to everyone else, and, and everyone has usually something to open, right? And I consider how appropriate that is. In fact, when you look at Christmas, we, we see the culmination of God's plan. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, he, he gave. Even tonight, we said, uh, Isaiah said, you know, for unto us a son is given, right? So it's appropriate that we give gifts. And in just a few moments, a few hours, probably less than 24, you're going to have a house that maybe looks like this. And isn't that a wonderful moment? It's like war-torn Christmas. The wrapping paper, like shards of shrapnel thrown everywhere, right? It, it's just like the conquerors have come and, and the Christmas conquerors stand over their pile of plunder, right? And have you ever been there as a kid and you have the pajamas and you have the socks and the underwear and all these toys and you're playing with one and you stand, I've conquered Christmas, right? It's a glorious moment, right? When you imagine how, how your world just got bigger, how all the toys you get to play with and the, the fuzzy socks you get to put on and the sweaters, it's, it's an amazing moment, and I bring this up because it mirrors what Christmas is all about. In fact, one of the reasons we're not just okay with Christmas, but thrilled by Christmas is because of the bounty of God. There is incredible goods because of who God is and what he's done for us. In fact, in Isaiah, it was put this way. He said, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So, so there are different pictures. In an agrarian society, when the bumper crop came in and the storehouses were filled and, and you had plenty and maybe you threw a big feast, man, that's what Christmas is like. Or plunder. I, I consider the Israelite nation coming out of Egypt and, and maybe you read this story that they just asked for their stuff and they gave it to them. That's pretty cool. Gold and silver. Thank you very much. And so God says to you, you know what Christmas means? It means harvest and plunder. It means bounty, all because of a baby. For unto you a son is given. And he brings so much. 
But what kind of bounty is this? Is it like the socks and underwear from grandma? Is it technology that's going to be obsolete in two years? What kind of bounty can a baby bring? Let's explore that a little bit. This past year, um, my life was changed as I met someone. Um, his name is Bishop Slavic. Amazing Love got connected to the Ukrainian Lutheran Church, um, and I know I'll, I'll forever be different. Um, here's a picture of uh, Bishop Slavic uh, in front of Sophia along with one of our members, Dan Kaczynski. And, and to know Bishop Slavic is to know his history of oppression. Uh, as a Ukrainian, uh, he dealt with Russian oppression. He grew up in the western part of Ukraine, and their family owned 22,000 acres of farmland. But it was stolen by the Russians. They just took it over. Uh, right now, the Ukrainian nation is at war um, in the south with Russia, trying to defend their border. And part of me wonders, what would it be like for, for, for this man to no longer fear Russian oppression? What would it be like for him to travel safely across borders to share the gospel or, or to be sitting in a rocking chair uh, absorbing the family farm that was stolen, uh, right, and just looking over that acreage once again? Like, that would be a great moment, right? But right now, it's oppression. You know, you don't have to grow up Ukrainian to experience oppression, to experience injustice and unfairness. In fact, one of the, the greatest things that oppresses us is guilt. Let's talk about that a little bit. I heard recently that you cannot be both happy and guilty at the same time. Do you believe that? Cannot be both happy and feeling guilty at the same time. And there are things that cause guilt, like a conscience. God has written the laws of, uh, that he has for us on our hearts so that when we break them, we know that we've done wrong and we deserve something bad. There is a real adversary called the devil. He's an accuser. And the devil's main job is to convince you that God loves people, but he doesn't love you. And God forgives sins, but he doesn't forgive your sins. You're too far off. But you want to know the bounty of the baby? Here it is. In the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. The bounty of the baby is of a battle one. Now, here we go back to Midian's defeat. And some of you might wonder, well, what does that describe? If you read the book of Judges, there's a man named Gideon who takes 300 Israelites and they uh, attack and they de defeat and they win over 120,000 Midianites. It's an incredible story. You should read it. Uh, they do this uh, simply through torches and trumpets. And God takes 300 to beat 120,000. Just as there is victory that day, so Christmas is a story of a battle that has been won. Jesus, who is our conqueror, and how does he do it? I'm reminded of a Christmas tree. Of wood. For wood makes a manger. A manger is where Jesus is laid in, and it describes the life he lived for you and I. That yes, he was tempted in every way, but he was found without sin. He did life differently. He was perfect and holy for our sakes. What else does wood remind me of? It reminds me of the cross. The cross where he absorbed all of the darkness. The curse of sin where the whole world became dark so that we could be released once and for all. So the bounty of the baby and our thrill... We're thrilled by hope because the oppression of guilt 
is broken once and for all. And so what does this mean for you? It means if you came in here feeling shame and fear, wondering if you're loved, you can release that and you can live in freedom. See, see Jesus, he exchanges yokes. On the cross, he, he took the yoke of slavery to sin, and from the cross we receive his yoke, which is light. That yoke is the right to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That yoke is the freedom of forgiveness. That yoke is eternal life in him. And I wanted to tell you, if you're new to Christianity, if you're just visiting, if you haven't heard this in a long time, you have the right to this kind of freedom past oppression. And the way to it is simply believing. Belief is called the, the hands that receive the gifts of God, that if freedom and salvation, if eternal life are like gifts under a tree, belief is just the hands that grab those Christmas presents. And so I say, believe in the Lord, and these gifts are yours. So this is the bounty of Jesus, spiritual riches, eternal riches. And I think that's good for us to understand. Because it doesn't always mean that earthly things are going to get better. In fact, I consider the shepherds who went to go see Jesus. And, and they could receive Jesus in their hearts. They would know, again, the hope that they have through Jesus. But as they leave from the manger, it doesn't make the sheep less dumb or the, the nights less cold. Or I consider the, the words that Isaiah is writing and the people he's writing to. Yes, they have enough for hope, and yes, they have enough for joy, but they're still going to be oppressed. Nations are coming to siege their town, take them away to captivity, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And the reason this is so important for us to consider these spiritual riches is because though we have joy in our heart, it doesn't mean you're going to go out to family gatherings that are perfect. When you get a bunch of sinners together, it gets kind of crazy. Right? That's everyone's family story. It doesn't mean you're not going to get sick this Christmas. And it doesn't mean things are going to just go your way here on earth. That's not the bounty of the baby. In fact, if you want to know, the thrill of hope culminates in eternity. See, God is calling you to be a foreigner and a stranger here on earth. To use the things of the world, but not to be absorbed in the things of the world. To not get caught up in the here and now, because this is transitory by a lot. Soon and very soon, you'll have an eternal existence. And he says, keep your minds there. That's where the true treasure is, and that's where it culminates. That as he made his home here, we get to make a home there and see him and live with him for an eternity. And while this is true that hope culminates in eternity, this hope still does help us now. So I do want to talk about the present and the reason it still helps us now is because our hope is not in a person who fails us or in money that flees us. It is in Jesus. And what does it say of Jesus? It says he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's talk about those names a little bit. I want to talk about those names through the lens of some movies, if that's all right. When I consider Wonderful Counselor, I consider the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Anyone see this one, favorite? And, and we know the story of George Bailey, uh, a good dude, uh, tried to save Bedford Falls, pretty good husband and father, um, 
but he needs counsel. He comes to a point where he wonders, is my life even worth it? And counsel comes in the character Clarence, angel from heaven. And Clarence does something spectacular. He shows him a world where he doesn't exist. And Bedford Falls became Pottersville without his defense. And he sees that uh, the, the, the shopkeeper that he turned around after he got slapped in the ear, he's now the, the town crazy because there was no George to turn him around. And Mary, oh, poor Mary. Mary becomes an old maid, which I don't actually think would happen. She was pretty awesome. But anyway, she becomes an old Mary because George is not there to marry her. What he needed was wise counsel. Do you know when it comes to walking with God, you have wonderful counsel? I think of the cosmic questions that God has answered that even infants in the faith know. Like, how we got here, what our purpose is, and where we're going. How I got here. Before I was born, God ordained all my days. What is my purpose? I'm here to glorify God. I am not here to live for myself. In fact, if you're a Christian living for yourself, you're doing it wrong. And it's transitory. I'm here to give God glory and to carry a cross. And where am I going? Oh, man. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived where I'm going. It's so wonderful that as a human equivalent, God just told us there's streets of gold because that's all he could come up with to share what is beyond us. God gives us wonderful counsel as we get into his word. Right now, Jesus, the word made flesh. What is Jesus? He's the mighty God. He's the God of the impossible. When I consider impossible things, it reminds me of this movie, The Santa Claus. It's been a while. CGI has gotten better. But what I remember is when Tim Allen becomes very portly and he tries to get himself down chimneys, and, and that's an impossibility, especially with those little pipes. And how does Santa Claus get to every home in one night, right? It's crazy. We want to know what's even more incredible than a portly man coming down a chimney. It's a dead man coming back to life. And that is what the message of Jesus is centered upon. Not Christmas, but Easter. Not his birth, but his resurrection. In fact, this is just a warm-up for the real deal, which is Easter. Easter, he rises to let us know there is something impossible that has just been made possible, that we dead people can also be raised to life and live with him someday. And I love to consider now what an impossible God means. It means that if you're stuck and you can't see a way, he can get you unstuck and make a way, though you didn't see it before. That's the glory of walking with him now. He is the everlasting Father. You know, it reminds me that Christmas is a time where, where many times we're away from family. Sometimes our hearts are heavy because there is a mom or a dad, a grandmother or grandfather, a child who is no longer with us. In fact, I consider, like, we all hold in our minds this one Christmas where everyone was there and everyone seemed happy. And it's like we, we never get back to that point. It's like a dream state that, that, that now we're just left with longing. I consider this dynamic as it plays out in the classic Home Alone. Kevin, who realizes, you know, man, I didn't want family, but maybe I need family, right? Everlasting Father, what does that mean? It means in a world where people will come in and out of your life, there is one constant. Someone who says to you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. In fact, Moses even said, because of this, you've been my dwelling place through all generations. You are that constant. 
But finally, Prince of Peace. The Bloomers are having a discussion over the best names of God, and Bella picked Prince of Peace. And, and I love it because you think of the kingdoms of this world, and, and what other kingdom is characterized by peace? Only God's kingdom. And what the Prince of Peace reminds me of is the, the, the Charlie Brown Christmas and, and Linus. And to know Linus is to know Linus's security blanket. I don't know if you ever grew up with one. Uh, the security blanket that makes him feel safe in all things. And yet in this movie, when Charlie Brown asks the meaning of Christmas and Linus gives his best Luke 2, what happens to the security blanket? It drops as he says what the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be all for people. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. I don't know what security blanket you've been carrying on in life. Some turn to pleasure, some turn to people, some turn to career, some to drugs and alcohol. We cope in many different ways to try to find peace. But what Jesus means is that if you hold him, you don't need to hold anything else. Christ is enough, even right now. And so you know why we're thrilled by hope? We're thrilled because of who this baby is. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father and he is the prince of peace. If you have him, friends, you have light that breaks the darkness. May you never forget it. Tonight and every day, that this Savior comes for you. Merry Christmas and amen.